Okay. I think we're recording now. Cool. Can we get started? Yeah. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to this interview, Dr. Alicia McCubbins. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, it's really great. So for our listeners out there, um, Dr. McCubbins and I, we actually have known each other for a while and have worked together and I contacted her today to do this interview because I've received quite a few questions about food in the corona time, which isn't too surprising. I know I've been (laughs) eating a lot more than usual. And um, it's a topic that's interested me for a really long time. And I know Dr. McCubbin's um, food-related health has been something you've been working on for a really long time, a really long time. For sure. So um, maybe we could just start out. People, my listeners know who I am. Um, I'm Dr. Marjorie Kinney. I live in Germany. I'm a clinical psychologist. And this podcast is about giving you a little tips and tricks and doable things that you can do to take care of yourself in the mental health field without having to go to a counselor or a psychologist or to your doctors uh, during this time of Corona. So I'm going to be quiet and let you introduce yourself. All right. Well, yes. And thank you for the intro. My name is Dr. Alicia McCubbins and I'm a naturopathic physician in the state of Washington in the United States. Um, I work locally in a in a clinic here in primary care, but I also have a telemedicine platform where I'm helping people all over the country, um, not only with just naturopathic care concerns, whether it's you know headaches or digestive issues, but really my area of expertise in that field has um, become more in the way of helping people conceive, so fertility support. Um, you know, and when we're talking about trying to bring life into the world it doesn't mean that we're doing anything that wildly different from what we all need to do to maintain optimal function of our entire physical and mental and emotional body. So, you know, even though we specialize as naturopathic doctors and things that we're passionate about, it still extends to anybody with chronic disease or just wanting to work on prevention. Can you uh, explain a little bit about what's the difference between an allopathic physician and a naturopath, so the work that you're doing? Yeah, so a lot, and another word that I think I would throw in there is like functional medicine or, or mm-hmm. integrative provider. Um, as a naturopathic provider, I still have the full undergraduate training of four to five years Um, just basic sciences. And there I I focused on nutrition. So that was a good platform for jumping into naturopathic medicine, which was a four or five year degree, just like allopathic medicine, which when you talk about allopathic, allo means opposite and homeopathic means same. So you can see that there's a big discrepancy in how we look at medicine just philosophically. But um, allopathic or conventional medicine, what have you, they have the same platform for studying like the basic sciences, you know, anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, all of those things, we we, um, have a comparable education. The thing that sets us apart is we spend more time on therapies. So instead of spending most of our hours just on pharmaceuticals, which we do study for sure, that's really important to understand pharmaceutical and still be able to use them and know when they're contraindicated, but 
we spend a lot more time on nutrition and by um, botanical medicine, homeopathy, and also like, you know, lifestyle support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So would you say that food is used in your practice as like medicine, like a way to treat the, treat symptoms, uh, to treat the body? You know it. My favorite quote ever is let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. And that's by Hippocrates. It's one of our leader, first leaders in medicine, both for conventional and naturopathic providers. Okay. So I, you know, you and I have personally talked about this for a long time. And it took me a really long time to accept and wrap my head around this idea of, okay, the food that I eat could actually, I mean, we all know that, you know, if we eat something we might get that doesn't agree with us, we might get a stomach ache or um, there might be foods that we're allergic to, or we might even, you know, get diarrhea and stuff. But it took me a really long time, even as a psychologist, to really come around to the idea of, but actually the foods we eat can also affect our mental health. So things like um, you and I talked a while ago actually about cutting out dairy food. And I notice, even though I fought against you for a long time about this. <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Jesus medicine, right? Um, that not only was I feeling physically better, but I also really quickly started to feel mentally better. So can you give us a, a kind of a quick breakdown of why foods can also affect our mental health? So whether we're feeling sure. anxious or depressed. There's kind of a two-prong um, top. This is a two-prong topic. The first is um, just talking about, you know, serotonin. So we talk about serotonin a lot in mental health, especially when it comes to the medications like serotonin um, SSRIs, serotonin um, inhibitors, so or uptake inhibitors. Those are hormones essentially. So serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, these all govern how your body feels like emotionally, especially. Well, when someone says, I feel like, you know, I need more happiness or more joy in my life. Often doctors will think, oh, well, we just need to treat your serotonin receptors and give you a medication for that. Mm -hmm. Well, your gut produces 95% of the serotonin in, in your body. So when you talk to a naturopathic doctor, it's like, well, we need to treat your gut. And that can be really frustrating for some people because it's like, no, I'm here for my mental health. I, I don't want to treat my poop. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's really mm-hmm. frustrating for people to get that concept. But when you understand it from a functional aspect is, well, where, why are you lacking that ser- you know, serotonin? And it's really saying we need to optimize the digestive tract. Even if you are you know, eliminating normally and not having symptoms that you're aware of, there's still reason to treat the gut. And this comes in from a place of talking about that whole microbiome. And I'm sure that this is a concept that's becoming much more, you know, understood by people in terms of like, oh, okay, well, my immune system is governed by my microbiome, my bacterial biodiversity, probiotics, what have you. Well, the gut produces about 85% of your immune system response as well. So when we're talking about your mental health, we're talking about your digestion, your immune system, your microbiome, and your ability to produce 
serotonin and other hormones right there in the digestive tract. Okay, so I think if I'm understanding you correctly, um, in the clinical psychology world, what I think is best practice is teaching people to regulate themselves. So I like pharmaceuticals for emergency purposes. I, I think they're sure. great if someone's really, really like it's an acute moment. But what you're saying is if you really want to get down to the base of the problem, you can't just, you'd just be treating the symptoms again with any kind of, um, you know, old school um, SSRIs. So you're saying if we actually look at the gut and look what's happening in, in at the bacterial level, you could actually help someone more long-term. Exactly. We, issue. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I have no problem prescribing medications, especially in the acute phase, but often these folks will come back to me and say, great, I feel better. Now I'm ready to come off. Mm-hmm. And that's when we're back to square one of like, well, let's really treat the cause. Good, you feel better. And that gave us some space to work on the cause. That's really important. Um, but now it's time to really activate those neural pathways and you know, treat that gut-brain connection. So if there's people at home who are listening to this who are saying, okay, I've struggled with, um, there's obviously a lot of mental health issues, but the two I talk about here the most are anxiety and depression. If there's a listener at home who's saying like, okay, well, how can I start treating myself? What would you recommend to them as far as food goes? Well, I would first start with um, thinking about, as a provider, it's very multifaceted. And I definitely want to focus on nutrition first and foremost, because I think that that's an important foundation to start with. But that said, I, um, you know, I would never skip the idea of talking to a provider you know Mm -hmm. it's it's important to think about like well is there some other layer that we're missing um but when it's when we're wondering if your food is actually causing anxiety or depression um i would say look at something that's a little bit less subjective so subjective meaning how you feel you know it's kind of hard to keep that in um in an objective form. So what I'm thinking is like, look at your digestion. Are you constipated? Are you having rashes? Um, Are you also fatigued? How's your sleep? So looking at clues and other systems of the body might give you an idea, oh, this, this food might be the problem. And in that case, the way to best track is to keep a diet diary along with like a column that's keeping tabs on your symptoms. So you're suggesting like a, a food journal, so writing down what you're eating every day, and then also writing down things like, okay, how's my digestion doing today? Am I having stomach aches? How am I sleeping? Are there any other physical things that are kind of out of whack today? Or am I actually feeling better? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's really important to write things down because again, when things are subjective, they change day to day and we kind of forget what it feels like to feel worse or, you know, mm-hmm. it's easy we to remember feeling better, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So food, a food journal is a really good place to start. That sounds yeah. good. Um, are there ways to tell, like, is there a fail-proof way of knowing, okay, my, my diet is the cause of um, my stress or my anxiety, my anxiety right now? 
Yeah. I mean, one of my most empowering tools that I give patients is an elimination diet and <laughs> elimination diets suck. I mean, they're hard, you know, it really mm -hmm. takes a lot of guts to start something. Yeah. I mean, but honestly, when you feel terrible, what do you have to lose, but try an elimination diet and that can look a lot of different ways, you know, for, for you, you had mentioned like, okay, just trying life without dairy that alone is something, you know, you can start somewhere with one food and try to avoid it for about 21 days. And then the important thing with, um, learning, like understanding how is your body actually responding to something is when you reintroduce it. So mm -hmm. first it's actually avoiding it strictly for a good amount of time to get it completely worked out of your system and to give your, like yourself a clean slate. And then when you reintroduce it, you eat the food a few times in one day, and then you wait a few days. And it's important to think about that waiting period because food that affects mental health doesn't necessarily have an immediate response the way like an allergy does. Mm -hmm. So you could be having a low grade sensitivity to something like gluten or dairy and not realize it until days later. So it's important to be patient, but also to give it a good shot. Like, you know, avoiding it here and there for a few weeks is really not an efficient way to get that kind of information. Mm. There are blood tests for testing for food sensitivities that might be influencing your mood or mental health. But um, I think that honestly, it's most efficient and specific um, to actually do an elimination diet. Okay, so it's worth it. I mean, something I've talked a lot about here is if if you really want to have stable mental health, it's it's like hard work. It's not just, it's not a, you can't just like open a box or open a bottle and there you go. You're going to be happy for the rest of your life. It actually takes effort. So what you're yeah. saying is here is it's worth the time. It's that thing you're giving up for a little while, but you're going to gain so much more in the long exactly. run. Exactly. Popping and, pills or. Yeah. And that's why I'm glad you're talking with me because, you know, one of the things that we really try to help patients understand is that we are not wizards here. We are here to help you discover what is best for your health. Like first you tell us what the idea of optimal health feels like, or what do you want it to be? And then we help you get there, mm -hmm. um, providing tools along the way. Sure. But it really has to come from within. So, um, I hope to get away from the idea of a pill for every ill, you know? So like right. whether it's natural or not, I don't want to just prescribe a, a, an herb because it's natural and have you dependent on that. So it, it takes work to really uncover some, some of those causes. So how long would you recommend that? Well, two, two questions, actually, if you're doing an elimination diet and we're talking about um, mental health issues here, one, how long is the elimination phase? And two, what foods would you recommend people eliminate and, and in what order? I guess that's three yeah. questions. No, it's a, it's a good question. And it really, um, this definitely depends on the patient. And I say that because some people we find do really, really well without grains, let's say. And grains, mm -hmm. you know, ancient grains can be phenomenal for health, especially when they're in the whole intact form um, where they haven't been processed, you know, like in terms of being, um, like shelf stable, I mean, like pastas and stuff like that. But if you're getting rice and quinoa and 
grains like that, they're perfectly healthy and wonderful. It's just some people do really well without them in general. Okay. And that comes from a blood sugar perspective or maybe even a sensitivity perspective. But um, I don't recommend that for just anyone without knowing their background because grains um, can also influence serotonin levels. So uh, I have had some people do really poorly on a paleo diet in the long run. And then there's people who have to be on a paleo diet. So it's, it's hard to say what is like this perfect structure. And that's why we like individualized medicine is so we can guide people through that. But I would say like the biggest triggers for inflammation, things to try avoiding would be gluten, dairy, mm-hmm. corn. Um, you could try nightshades, which is a, a family of plants that includes like tomatoes and potatoes, which takes up a big chunk of a lot of people's diets. Um, and peppers and things like that. And then sugar for sure. So like if you had to pick one thing, I would say cutting out sugar completely is the best thing to try to avoid. And I could say, I could extend that to everyone. <laughs> Does that also include natural sugars? I'm, I'm, t- I'm referring specifically right now to fruits. Yeah. Well, uh, again, that depends on the person, but in, mm-hmm. with an elimination diet, it's worth trying to avoid fruit and um, maple syrup, honey, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, steve- even stevia, fake sugars. And it's just from a perspective of giving your body like a clean slate. Um, those are all great natural sourced sugars. And I think that when someone's trying to lead a clean life, leaning towards those instead of, you know, granulated sugars, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So um, let's say I'm sitting here at home and I'm like, okay, it's Corona time. It's worth me. I can do some experiments on myself. Would I start with just eliminating the sugars and then start to introduce them back into my system after how long? Yeah. You'd want to give it at least a few weeks. So like anything, if you're avoiding something, give it three weeks, 21 days. That's kind of the magic number. Mm-hmm. I think longer is better. If I have um, a test that says, oh, you're sensitive to corn, I'm saying, you know, avoid it for six, three to six months at least. So it's okay. But if you're have, experimenting at the beginning, you could try it. With, yeah. Let's say the 21 days. Weeks. Yep. And then I would move on to the next option. Then I'd, you know, because if you're, what I'm trying to get at is if you, if you, are misunderstanding this and you're like, okay, I'm going to stop sugar and gluten and dairy and corn. That's not really going to help you figure out what it is that might be causing you some problems. So am, well, is, am I correct you could you avoid could them all. one after the other? You could avoid all of them at once and then slowly bring one thing in at a time because there's a chance that there's a few things that are causing some mm-hmm. issues in terms of inflammation or mental health imbalances. Okay. So it depends on how motivated you are. You know, I usually start slow with people as to not set people for failure or concern that they're not doing enough because right. really it's, we have to be gentle with ourselves, especially now. I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't eat chocolate every single day the last mm-hmm. month. and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> But if, you know, if I were trying to troubleshoot, I would start with, yeah, avoiding all the chocolate and sugar that I have. And after a few weeks, I would introduce it, see how that changes my perspective and how I'm feeling. And then if it doesn't feel any different, yeah, I'd move on to the next food okay. and maybe try yeah, dairy or, um, you know, there, there's a long list of high intolerance foods, but um, 
a lot of people like to look at what's called the Whole30 as a template. And the Whole30 diet is kind of cool. I don't have any affiliation with them or anything, but it comes with a book that gives you more guidance as to what to avoid, but also what to eat when you're mm-hmm. avoiding something. And I really love that book because it also has a lot of mental emotional support. When you're avoiding something, there's a bit of a regression where you feel worse before you feel better. You know, is it because you're deprived or is it because there's an actual alteration of your microbiome? And mm. um, I, I think it's really nice to have that kind of support so that you're not feeling like, oh, screw it. I just, okay. you know, it's, like, I'm nah, it's part of the process. It's part of yeah, the process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you mentioned um, what things you should eat. And when I looked at this topic for myself, not being um, a physician, I've been a little confused about the topic of foods that are supposed to trigger the release of serotonin, where I've read some people say it's, it's crap, you know, and other people say, oh yeah, foods like what pops into my head is like cashews and whole milk and eggs could help boost your mood. What, what's your opinion on this? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of different chemicals within foods that can trigger the production of neurotransmitters like serotonin, um, norepinephrine, dopamine, acetylcholine. Yeah. Um, so for, for those people who don't know, these are all um, chemicals in your body that do influence your mood. A lot of other things as well, but if you don't have enough of any of these, you're going to start dipping into the, the depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, oh, excuse me, that's that my child. <laughs> the new normal working from home. Um, that's right. So, yep. Hold on, buddy. So, other foods that can are, like stimulate a good production of those neurotransmitters, things that make us feel good, would be things that are rich in antioxidants or flavonoids. And antioxidants are basically things that help your body to eradicate damage that's been done just from normal life, you know, walking out and breathing nasty air or drinking toxic water. You know, it's antioxidants are the thing that keep us cleaner and safer and um, repair our bodies. And so Things that are rich in antioxidants that can also be helpful for mood production or moods and neurotransmitter production would be like dark chocolate, um, spices like turmeric and pepper, um, things like um, colorful vegetables and fruits. So the more colors, the better, because that's going to give you more nutrients as well. Mm-hmm. Eating the rainbow, um, eating the rainbow. Yes. I'm going to make cakes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then what we really like to um, hone in on is the dark leafy greens. And that's from the dense nutrients and B vitamins and minerals that are in there. And then of course, I'm pushing fermented foods, things that are rich in those probiotics to support our healthy microbiome. Can we, without taking supplements, is there um, natural foods that we can have uh, that have the probiotics? So I'm thinking like uh, kombucha, right? Would that be a choice for some people? Yeah. So fermented foods um, are rich in probiotics and that's because they are really made in a production of making lactic acid or um, using yeast and bacteria to make good um, 
a fermentation process. And so things I think about, yes, kombucha, kefir, yogurt, um, even sourdough, which I think a lot of people are getting on the making your own bread train right now. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. home, we're homesteading. New wave of cooking and baking, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. I I have to be gluten-free, but I've been playing around with the sourdough myself, and it turns out I'm tolerating a lot of those um, sourdough recipes. So it's because, again, that, that good bacteria is helpful in the digestion of our foods. Okay. Um Something that uh, has been popping up in a lot of the Facebook pages and whatever is alcohol. And I, I feel, I'm not reading the numbers, but I feel that there is a big increase in alcohol consumption. What are your thoughts on alcohol and mood? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've also seen that um, sales for alcohol has skyrocketed. (laughs) Um, And I understand I've had this own draw toward it in terms of like, oh, well, I'm home and I have less responsibility right now. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the same time, I know it doesn't serve me because I find that like the next day I feel much worse because of that toxicity load, right? And so the body has to work pretty hard at not only breaking down, but metabolizing alcohol which is essentially just condensed sugar, um, but also with the extra strain on the liver for breaking it down. So alcohol, though, you know, can feel really good in the moment. I'm urging folks to remember what it's doing, you know, in the days to come. How are you going to feel the next day when you have, um, you know, the unpredicted stressors of this climate right now. Um, but you know, beyond that, it does disrupt your microbiome. And I, I think that in small amounts, it can be actually quite therapeutic, you know, what's a a small amount to you, Dr. McCubbins? What is it? Yeah. One to two drinks at most, honestly, I think is a, a reasonable and safe amount to drink. Um, a glass of wine while making dinner can sometimes just help you turn off. And that, medicine right there is invaluable um, to be able to be done with your work and say, okay, I'm shifting gears. Other folks find that exercise works well that way. So of course I'd like you mm. to lean towards exercise and water, but a glass of wine or a, one beer, one drink is not um, too damaging. Okay. So like the, the one glass a day is your kind of yeah. your go-to. Okay. Right. And so from our perspective uh, on the mental health side, we say like, for those of you who do one glass a day, that's great. And for those of you who find that, that you can't stop after the one glass, then probably not doing anything, probably, you know, you're going to want to stick to the exercise or the meditation, things like that. Yes. Got to know your limits. And exactly. We also know that, um, a lot of people with high anxiety tend to drink because it kind of dampens that feeling of stress. And ironically, the day after drinking, levels of stress actually are increased. So Dr. McCubbins, I'm sure you know a lot more about the physiology there, but that it's like what you were saying before, you got to think about the long run and how you're going to feel tomorrow, and especially for people with uh, depression and anxiety, it might be a little, exactly. I want to just, just pop on those running shoes, huh? Well, and yeah, and I mean, also, you know, I could probably talk about this forever. It's just when you also think about alcohol, this, the metabolism of alcohol can actually really disrupt sleep. 
And so if you're mm-hmm. having a, a few too many drinks in the evening, we have a blood sugar crash in the middle of the night. So this is classic for people who are waking up at one, two, three in the morning, and I maybe can't fall back asleep or don't have a restful sleep. And that definitely, definitely has a negative impact on mental health. Your, your sleep and energy throughout the day are critical for ideal mental health. So that's something to keep in mind too. All right. That's, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Um, so as far as the food goes, what, what would be your take-home message for today for those people who are, want to experiment with their food and how, how, it ma- how it's making them feel? Yeah, well, take-home messages? take-home messages would be really, um, one, focusing on protein and fat throughout the day. I think it's really important for us to not just think about what can I avoid, but what can I focus on? And so in order to maintain good blood sugar regulation throughout the day, um, eating a little bit of protein and fat with breakfast, lunch, dinner, and your snacks, that is going to keep your blood sugars from being erratic. And that's important to know because if your blood sugars are low, you're going to feel more anxiety. People often come to me and they're like, I'm really, really shaky. I'm tired. I have Mm. poor mental clarity. Um, I'm grumpy or nervous. And it's because they just have, they've been focusing more on carbs. Maybe they woke up and had cereal and then a sandwich for dinner and then pasta for, or for lunch and then pasta for dinner. Those are carb heavy meals. And a way around that is to focus more on, you know, the meat and the eggs and your nuts and seeds, um, and then making those carbohydrate foods more of a complement. And that's really, again, to focus on blood sugar regulation. So with that message, it's again, reminding patients to check in with their providers too, to make sure their blood sugars are doing okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for um, the omnivores, omnivores out there, like a little bit of protein in each meal would be great. And for vegans and vegetarians, things like nuts and seeds and I guess beans, right? We can do the beans. Oh yeah. Too. Yep. And, you know, a lot of vegetables are high in protein, like broccoli is oh, something okay. that is broccoli. Yeah, underrated for its protein content. It always comes back, broccoli. It always comes back, <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, so another take-home message, I, I think that we've talked about this quite a bit already, is just moderation. And, you know, moderation being whether it's foods that you're, you know, feeling already guilty about, whether it's wine or alcohol or sugar, defining what moderation is for you. And for me, it's actually cheating and having like smaller plates or little tiny containers that hold those foods, you know, Um, even my almonds that I was snacking on just before I had them in a tiny little jar. So I would have control over how much would actually go in. No, that's um, a good tip. Yeah. So you're not saying you, you, it's not that you have to stop eating. Well, unless you're doing an elimination diet, but other than that, it's not that you have to stop eating, you know, the chocolate and stuff. It's just, right. you know, enjoy, enjoy it in little, little mm-hmm. bits and pieces. Okay. And then the third take home message is really, I, I, I think that a lot of people get caught up again in, in what I should and shouldn't eat. And I think there's a lot of, um, self-inflicted guilt around food. And that's something I'm trying my best to help people get away from. And so what we want to encourage is intuitive eating. And that's a whole can of worms that's hard to train, but I think it comes from a place of working with someone that helps you to, yes, understand your body 
and mm-hmm. also help you tune into those clues. So whether it's food journaling or um, trying an elimination diet to see how your body's actually responding for some sort of biofeedback, that's helpful. But you know, listening to those cues is what's a lifelong lesson. Mm-hmm. Am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Do I need to go for a walk? You know, like those right. are, that's, that's the million dollar lesson. Know, that, know um, thyself. Know yep. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of the old philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know you mentioned before that you do some online services. So I know a lot of people are really hesitant to get out and about these days. It's understandable. What what kind of services can you offer to people through your um, online formats? Yes, so online, it's um, it's really important for me to clarify that I'm not someone's primary care doctor. It's always important to have someone locally that you work with, not only for you know legality purposes, but to have someone on your side to get some blood work done or you know get you the referrals that you need if necessary. But um, what I'm working, what I'm doing is really working with people in a counseling fashion. It's more of like, you know, we meet in a face-to-face telemedicine platform where we can see each other, we can hear each other in real time, and we just chat about um, you know your current complaints, your concerns, and then we look at it from the perspective of naturopathic philosophy. How is this related to that? Instead of, well, you have this problem, this problem, this problem. It's more like, well, how do we connect all the dots and Mm -hmm. see the big picture? And then um, ideally we try to come to a place of um, recommendations that are naturopathic, natural, and, you know, things that can help you change your lifestyle, even if it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's always the final goal, right? Each little habit that you're able to change, it might be hard, but it's those habits that really make a huge difference at the end of your, the end of the day, right? That that's where you're going to find that inner peace and inner strength from. It's not going to be from uh, reading a book uh, and ignoring the advice or (laughs) taking those pills that you found at Walgreens or something. It's about really learning how to take care of yourself, right? It's worth the investment, worth the work. All right. right. So would it be all right if I provided a link at the bottom or wherever people are listening to this podcast and um, for them to get in contact with you if they'd like to use your services? I'd love it. It's vitalhealth.com. All right. Well, I'll definitely put that on there. And um, you're also really into um, natural fertility treatment. So that is something that people shouldn't forget either that mind is body and body is mind or actually I still don't like to separate those two or I wish we still weren't doing that but um also fertility is uh it's all together right mental health physical health and fertility stuff can also be treated naturally as well right Dr. McCubbins absolutely all right thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us I know it's hard to keep a little child (laughs) quiet and in the background for this long so Hats off to you, and um, (laughs) thanks again. Thanks, Marjo. Good talking to you. Bye. (laughs) Bye.